0: This is the Scott Bradley show podcast.
1: But first up today, there was a story in the Toronto star this morning that says, and it's a very broad based story. There's a lot of meat in this. We won't get to all of it, that many businesses haven't learned from past mistakes in their behavior, according to a ministry of labor investigation. And there were a lot of different areas where this could be applicable, but one of the big ones comes in the area of overtime. People are. Businesses working overtime, being paid for overtime, not being paid for overtime, handling overtime, on and on and on and on. Figured there was one person to bring into chat about this. You hear him on CHML right here every Sunday from one to two on Employment Hour. You hear his commercials. Uh, his name is Leo Samfiro. He is an employment lawyer, and he joins me now. Leo, thanks for doing this tonight.
2: Good evening, Scott.
1: There are there seems to be a lot of problems in workplaces that we're reading from these stories and we hear them in, in anecdotal stories as well uh, coming from overtime and Lior I'm I'm puzzled by why this is such a difficult issue because on its face it seems that overtime should be pretty cut and dried if you work your eight hours or eight and a half hour day and they ask you or you stay longer that's overtime why is this so complicated
2: well you know I, I, I love the fact that you, you brought that the eight and a half hour example simply because it's actually not that. The, the, the general overarching rule for, em, for employees that are governed provincially is that you only get overtime if you work more than 44 hours a week. So there's a lot of misconception that it's after eight hours a day or nine hours a day. None of that. It's not calculated daily. It's calculated weekly. So and if, if that's where the analysis ends, I get overtime pay after uh, 44 hours, okay, we can, we can understand that. But let's think of an example where there's exceptions and exemptions where employers and employees can get confused. Let me give you that example. So managers are exempt from overtime. Managers don't get overtime. Well, wait a second. Who is a manager? I do 40% of my job over the time I manage people. Does that make me a manager? Well, my employer may think that that makes me a manager and I'm exempt, except no, I'd have to do more than 50% of my time managing Duties in order to, to fall under that exemption. But,
1: Lior, so, let me stop you for just one second. I want you to keep going, but let me just say something. Wouldn't a manager be identified in their job description as a manager?
2: Well, the, the reason why we want to stay away from job descriptions, otherwise, everyone can be called the manager of something, and that would mean, well, the title says manager, therefore you don't get overtime. Really, we always look at substance over form. So, I couldn't be called a technician, but if I perform management responsibilities, I'm still going to fall and be a manager. So it's it's really about that, that job and the duties that the employee performs. And really what I'm saying is to get dicey. And when it comes to employers breaching the Employment Standards Act as relates to overtime and other matters, it really falls down or the employers fall down in, into one of two categories. Either they deliberately do that because they believe that no one's going to catch them and, and the Ministry of Labour, frankly, doesn't have much teeth. The Ministry of Labour really can't do much by way of punishing if we're caught, maybe well, we'll get a $200 fine. We'll take that risk. So they're playing the, the odds in that sense. That's one category. The other category is employers that want to do the right thing and want to abide by their legal obligations, but, but they're not, they don't understand those. They're confused. The Employment Standards Act is not a user-friendly statute. It's written for people like myself, employment lawyers, not for the general public. So we see employers fall in both those categories, and the net effect of that is A lot of employers, I'm going to say most employers, do things wrong often. It relates to overtime, vacation pay, hours of work, you name it.
1: Okay, I have about 175 questions I want to get to. We're not going to have time to do this all, but before we get to those, has it always been this confusing, or was there a time in Ontario and Canada, in the world, when the idea of overtime and what to pay people was pretty straightforward and reasonably simple?
2: It really was. I mean, if we're, we're going to go back, you know, 30 years or so, uh, it, it, the rules were a lot simpler. As, as the workplaces got more sophisticated and we had different people in different positions, uh, more exceptions were, were created. Uh, more rules were created to, to match the modern workplace, and, and that complicated things. You know, for example, thirty years ago, if I told you someone was an IT professional, you would look at me very strangely. Well, <laughs> IT professionals—they changed have,
1: the ribbon on the typewriter thirty exactly, years ago.
2: That was an IT person. <laughs> well, right now they have their own rules and exceptions in the employment standards. That would get very confusing. So it's those types of things that, over time, as as the workplaces change, so have the laws. And whether it's for the better or not, it's, it's, uh, you know we can debate that, but it certainly has made it more confusing.
1: Okay. So let's go through a few of these things that I think are, the, are, are some of the questions that come up with overtime for people who maybe don't know what they are or are not allowed to do. Can a company, by law, can a company force an employee to work overtime?
2: No. A company cannot force an employee to work overtime unless they've agreed to certain hours of work in the employment agreement. So if we've agreed that i will work 50 hours a week in my employment agreement that is the job that i accepted. it then yet yeah, i can't say well now i don't want to work it because it's considered overtime i have to get paid for a time and a half for any hours over 44. but if i've agreed to work nine to five monday to friday and my employer wants me to work 50 hours no they can't make me a lot of uh, employees excuse me may feel uh, obliged they want to be good employees good soldiers But no, an employer cannot make someone work overtime and cannot penalize an employee for not working overtime.
1: That was going to be my next question. Um, Okay, so you've answered that one. Can, or sorry, does a company have to pay an accelerated rate of payment for working overtime? As in, do they have to pay time and a half or double time or whatever else? Or could they simply pay you at the rate you would normally be paid for your regular hours?
2: So the way it works is uh, that for any hours, over 44 hours in a week, you get paid a time and a half. So if you're an hourly rate employee, that's easy, time and a half. If you are paid a salary, the way we calculate that is whatever your weekly salary is, we divide that by 44. That gives us an hourly rate. And then time and a half would be one and a half, uh, sorry, overtime would be one and a half times that. So it's one and a half times For any hours, over 44 hours in a week.
1: Even if, okay, and that means even if you're not in a unionized place, if there's no specific agreement, if you are, if I walk in and I'm just a a guy flipping burgers at an independent burger joint that someone opens and it's just a pretty loose relationship as far as my employment, I still have to be paid a time and a half.
2: Yes. Now, if you're working at the burger burger joint making $10 an hour, for example, then you'll get paid $10 an hour for every hour up to 44, and for any hour over 44, you're going to get paid at $15 an hour, which okay. is time and a half. But yeah.
1: it's everybody. That's what I'm saying. It's, every- it's everybody.
2: Well, well, it's everybody except those that are exempt. Managers, for example. Okay, yeah. IT professionals, construction employees, pool cleaners—that's you, you like that one.
1: Why uh, would why would okay? Why would pool cleaners and IT professionals be exempted? What do they do that would make them exempt?
2: Well, you know, I I, I didn't draft the statute, but I think the general idea being that uh, the nature of their job is such that they they have to work these extended hours, unpredictable hours, and that maybe it will be too onerous on the employer to have to pay time and a half. I don't agree with that. I think it confuses things. And that's where a lot of employers get into trouble. Well, are you an IT person? What is an IT person? Are you a construction employee? What is a construction employee? Uh, but there's, there's a list of exemptions like that uh, that uh, are not obvious, are really not obvious. And I have a lot of people calling me saying, do I get overtime? And I have to take them through an analysis, find out what they do, how many hours in a the week they do certain tasks versus, versus other tasks, so it's not a, a yes or no answer always.
1: Must a company, must my company, ask me ahead of time, by a certain period of time to work overtime, or can they come up to me five minutes before the end of my day and say, yeah, I'd really like you to stay for another three hours? Are they supposed to give me warning?
2: Well, if if uh, if we start with the proposition that they certainly cannot make you, so if they come to you, whether it's today Uh, and say, I need you to work overtime today, or they let you go a week earlier, you don't actually have to do it. The answer is, it really wouldn't matter as, as a practical matter, and that's where I advise my employer clients, is you do want to give as much notice as possible. You don't want to put the person in a situation where they feel they absolutely have to because you're in this big jam, and they'll be disciplined if they don't. So do they have to give notice? No. Should they? Absolutely.
1: But we all, Lior, this is this is where this thing really now gets tricky because I think we live in an ultra-competitive, professional world. Right. Uh, the fight for jobs is is out there. Everybody's trying to hold on to what they're doing. And if someone comes up to me, if my boss or your boss, I mean, I, I'm sure you work overtime. Sure. If someone comes up to you and says, Lior, you know what, I'd really like you to stay, even though the company cannot, by what you're saying, force you to stay, they can force you to stay essentially because you can. be Even though they can't penalize you, you can feel like you're going to be penalized if you don't stick around.
2: One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Everyone wants to be a good employee. Everyone wants to be able to move up in the organization and maybe get a salary increase, a promotion, etc. And they feel they're obliged to do what the employer says, and, and that's natural. And you know, even though an employer, as I said, cannot penalize someone for not uh, working overtime, well, wait a second, when it comes time to reviews and salary increases, maybe, Scott, I'm not going to give you a a great pay raise because you you weren't uh, cooperating this year. So as a practical matter, you're 100% right. There There are, are repercussions.
1: There are lots of people out there, not all employers, but there are some who have mastered the art of guilt. And if you if you turn it down, and I don't experience this at my work, but I've heard of other people. If you don't take the overtime, well, you oh, you, you know, I really need you. To, you can feel yep. crappy if you don't take that overtime. They can't make you, but boy, you walk out of that place going, I think I just screwed up my entire career.
2: And, and in my experience, because of that, it's rare for an employee to say no to overtime, certainly to say no to overtime more than once, because they, they know it's going to impact their uh, their future in the company, no question about it.
1: Okay, what about the other way, though? Okay, Leor, uh, you're my boss. I am an aggressive, enthusiastic employee who wants to get ahead and wants to do a great job. And I say, you know what, Leor, the work you've given me, I could do it in the time you've given me. But if you want it done really well it's going to take me a couple extra hours a day, so I think I should be paid overtime. Can a worker go to his boss and say, I should be paid overtime because I did two extra hours of my own volition?
2: Interesting question, and, and a lot of employers and employees get confused by this, so, so let me set the record straight. First thing I'll say is that if overtime is actually worked, okay, even irrespective of whether the employer approved it or asked for it, if it's worked, it has to be paid, okay? So if an, if I had to work 48 hours this week, I have to get paid overtime, even though my employer didn't ask me to, and even though they may have a policy that says, I have to get it approved before I work overtime. Now, the fact that I work, quote-unquote, unapproved overtime may mean that they could discipline me in some way, but they can say, I'm not going to pay you.
1: Hold on a sec. So let me me stop here for a sec. So I've got got some extra bills to pay. I had to buy a new washing machine this week, and I figure, (laughs) you know what? If I can work an extra 10 hours this week, I might be able to pay part of that off. So I'm not going to tell my boss. And we have a policy here at the office that says, no, you must get overtime approved. But if I go ahead of my own volition and work that overtime and submit it, they still have to pay me? So
2: they have to pay you so long as the work was legitimate. I mean, if, if, if it can show that you were just sitting there. So, oh, to, so Of course, of, of course. But, but here's the thing. The fact that you didn't follow the policy may mean you could be disciplined. They may give you a warning. And if you keep doing that, you may actually be fired. But do they still have to pay you in the meantime? Yes, they absolutely do.
1: You know, yeah, it's, um, I sit there and I think, okay, I wonder if somebody could make a case to say, because companies are leaner and leaner now, and they still want to do a good job that if, you know, if you want me to be able to do this properly, I don't have enough time in my day. You have to pay me, you have to give me more overtime. And a lot of companies may say no, but it's, it raises a really interesting discussion or argument with your boss, I suppose that yeah, and, and I can do this, but it's going yeah. to be pretty mediocre.
2: Exactly. So, Do you want it fast or do you want it good? Uh, absolutely. Those types of discussions happen every day. I, I won't shock you by saying that employers would rather avoid paying overtime if, if they can avoid really? it. Really?
1: I never would have guessed right? that.
2: <laughs> but, but there's this, this conflict there. Employees feel pressured uh you talk about pressure to work overtime but they often feel pressure to get the work done without having to work overtime to get it done on time and that can be very stressful and i've had several clients over the years that because of those types of pressure uh, ended up going on on uh, disability uh, because they just couldn't handle it that it impacted their health too much too much pressure uh especially now in this day and age with with technology we're, we're used to getting things fast and getting things done immediately uh, and, and oftentimes that pressure translates to to employees. Uh, but and employees don't want to work overtime if their employer doesn't want them to because, again, they may be subject to discipline. That may impact their performance. So there's that dynamic there, and oftentimes the employee uh, ends up uh, in a very difficult
0: situation.
1: Let me ask you one more thing because we're almost out of time. Uh, you and I, Leor and Scott, have desks next to each other in the Acme Corporation, and we are doing a similar job. And I end up doing some overtime of my own volition or, you know, because I need to, to do a better job and the company pays me. If you then were to say, well, look, they paid Scott, even though he wasn't cleared for that, but they ended up paying him. If, is that a precedent? Has the company then set a precedent? Could you then decide that you also are going to do it without being asked? And if they try to discipline, could you say, yeah, but you already set the precedent. It's good to go. 100%
2: 100% yes. When an employer condones that type of behavior across the company, they can't then just pick and choose. Once it's known, once it's clear that they've condoned that behavior and an employee relies on that and, and acting in a certain way, they can't turn around and discipline the person. So they have to be, an employer has to be always, not just with respect to overtime, with respect to any workplace policy, be consistent. Enforce your policies. Make sure employees know those policies enforce those policies, because if you don't, you may as well not have policies. They're not really worth anything if you're not enforcing them, and if employees know you're not enforcing them.
1: It's good there are people like you out there, because for the rest of us, this is so stinking confusing that trying to keep up with this and sort out what is going on is is essentially impossible, and it really is. You said a moment ago that things have become a lot more complicated. It's incredibly complicated trying to figure this out. It's it's little wonder to me, Lior, that when the Ministry of Labour goes through and starts looking that they start finding all kinds of stuff that's messed up. Because honestly, I bet you a lot of people who are workers will look at this and say, oh, see, the companies are intentionally screwing over the workers. I bet you that a lot of this stuff is just misunderstanding, not all, but a lot of it is not applying or not understanding the laws or the rules or confusion about certain things. It's so confusing that it's completely understandable to me why there would be some blips in this.
2: I'll, I'll, I'll say this comment uh, to end here, Scott. I, I mean, this article that came out today said 75% of those employers that were inspected were in violation of the law. I was very surprised by that. I was very surprised that it was only 75%. I expected the number would be significantly higher. And the reason why it was only 75% is because this was the second time this com- these companies had been blitzed. So they really should have known better. I promise you that amongst the more general employer population, the percentage of employers that are doing things wrong, you know, "quote unquote" illegally, is probably well over ninety percent.
1: That is uh, that is stunning. Uh, Leor Samfuro, employment lawyer, hear him every day, every every day. Uh, not every day. You don't have time for that. Every weekend, Sunday from one to two on Employment Hour. Leor, thanks for doing this today. Thanks, God. Uh, it is incredibly confusing, and you know. I I work overtime, I work a lot of overtime, but I don't get paid for it. And that's something we never even got into. Because to do your job sometimes, you you have to work overtime. And my my thought on it is always when I do it is well, wait a second. If they didn't ask me to do overtime, if I did it because I just wanted to put in a little extra time and make do the job right, if they didn't ask me, then I really can't turn around and expect them to pay me. Now Leor says you can that you're supposed to. So I've completely screwed that up. But again, it goes to show how confusing sometimes these laws are. I find it hard to believe that if I unilaterally decide to put in extra time that the company should have to cover that for me. Maybe I need to be a little harsher, a little more greedy. I'm not sure what the rule is but or what the thought is. But very, very, very confusing stuff. No surprise, I think, that some of the places are uh, mangling this a little bit. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. This show's favorite newly minted 50-year-old sportscaster, that would be Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. Sir, happy birthday. Thank you, sir. I was going to keep it a secret, but then like everybody on social media was putting stuff out about it. They even have photoshopped photos of you wearing little birthday hats. So I figure, you know, no use keeping it a secret anymore. I can't believe you're 50. You look 40 or less.
0: I'm proud to say that that was the response of a lot of people. Um, I mean, obviously with guys, the the topic of age doesn't come up too often. But I was pleased to see that many female friends (laughs) and many females out there that, you know, decided to... Uh, either Facebook me or you know Twitter or whatever the case was. with congratulations, that was the kind of general consensus. i would just been kind of trucking along doing my thing, but I was surprised as to how many people just didn't know how old I was.
1: Well, listen, you're uh, you're holding up well, sir. So good for you.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm good. I feel good, you know. And uh, like I keep telling people, everyone's like, "Well, how does it feel to be 50? And I'm like, you know what? I'll be honest with you. The forty barrier was the bigger deal to me than fifty.
1: Well, and you already have the snazzy midlife crisis car with the convertible, and you you've, i mean, you've already gone through all the midlife crisis stuff. I, you know, I suppose that you, you know you could get a big toupee. And get some chains to dangle through the chest hairs or something with the open shirt on. That would be a look on CHCH, by the way, if you were to do that.
0: There'll be no toupee. I'm okay with the bald look.
1: Big, A big, you know, a big, fluffy toupee and, a, and fluff out the chest hairs and have some gold chains in there. <laughs> and the shirt unbuttoned down to the navel. Like, really, you might throw off Taz a little bit if you do that. I'll be honest. But, if you
0: start seeing me in the nightclubs in around Hamilton, then you got to be concerned. Yes,
1: wearing velour.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I I seriously hope you don't actually own anything in velour. But I'm not going to ask. Don't answer my question. Uh, let <laughs> let us move along to a thing that I saw yesterday. I wanted to ask you about this because I saw this yesterday, and I truly, I was halfway between laughing and steaming about this in a because it's not that I have that much of a vested interest. It's just that sometimes things hypocrisy is so rich that you cannot help but want to say something. So we all know the story. Jose Bautista hits the home run against Texas a couple years ago, flips the bat. The Texas Rangers go berserk. They all want to kill Jose Bautista. So next time they face actually not the next time they face him, they rather cowardly wait until the last game of the year in his last at-bat of the year and then bring in a guy who is just back from rehab after a long drug and alcohol stint to throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball at him. When he gets on base, he then's a little ticked off, so he slides into second base, and their little second baseman, Rujnet Odor, is waiting to slug Jose Bautista in the face because he is, of all of them, he is the leader of the guys who are bent out of shape about the bat flip because it was really not cool. So in the world baseball classic yesterday, Rouge de is up to bat for Venezuela. What does he do? He hits a single that's not even like a walk-off single. It's a single and he flips his bat and takes his time going down to first base. Is this not the absolute height of sports hypocrisy?
0: What it do- has done is certainly ignited more hatred between the Texas Rangers and the Toronto Blue Jays. And the and Houston
1: I- Astros, by the way. They're they're cross-state rival. They're chirping each other, too.
0: Absolutely. I mean, so O'Dour actually thought he had hit a home run. I mean, the ball, when it came, first came off his bat, I have to admit, I was watching the game. I thought it was a home too, but it bounced kind of off the wall. So he really did look like a bozo, And <laughs> and – I will say this. This is just, and, and maybe we can talk about this. I'm okay. I'm a little more okay with the antics in an international situation more so than just a daily, even though it was the playoffs, than a Major League Baseball game. It's only because in the short tournament, it's such a short tournament, it's a national kind of thing. Whereas I do believe there is a code amongst the players in the Major League.
1: Look, okay, first of all, when Bautista hit his home run and flipped the bat, there was no doubt that ball was going out. I mean, it was going out. Absolutely. It was it was a bomb. And so if you're going to flip your bat ever, you do it when you know the ball is going out of the park, not when it's a line drive that you think you've hit pretty well. That's the yeah. first mistake. Uh, that's a rookie mistake for a non-rookie. But, see, I here's the other thing that I find really funny, is that when Bautista flipped his bat, the whole discussion was it somehow spun around to race. It was about Latin passion and Latin baseball versus stoic, sober, boring white guy baseball that we've had forever. And this was the the heat of Latin blood that had bubbled over in a great moment. And Odor, who is Latin, he's from Venezuela, was part of the guys who was upset with this, but when he flips his bat, well, it's just Latin passion in the heat of a great moment. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, can't, can't. you can't argue, you can't have situational ethics, I guess. That's what drives me nuts about this stuff. It's the situational ethics. When I do it, well, my moment cried out for it. But when you did it, your moment didn't cry out for it because it was against me.
0: And, and I agree. I there, there was a bunch of nonsense and, and talk that went along with that, too. And, 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 but I will say that, I mean, remember, Batista got punched in the face because he had he, it was in a pretty egregious slide going into a door that uh, I think that angered everyone. Uh, so I think Batista started a little bit of that. That, But in terms of the bat flip stuff, I mean, I don't know. Why, why is everyone getting in a tizzy in this? I mean, it's... But and, that's and, exactly...
1: And, no, you're exactly I, I, right. I love and, the know, bat flips. I'm okay with bat flips I, in I'm big okay moments. I'm okay with
0: it. I think he looks like a ding-dong because it wasn't a home run. So he ends up, you know, kind of making himself look like a, an idiot in that sense. Um, but it just adds more fuel to the fire and... And you're right, I mean, this whole, um, you know, the American way of playing the game, the North American way of playing the game versus the Latin way of playing the game. Oh, Latin people celebrate more. Uh, It's part of their nature. The whole thing, just to me, is just, I mean, it's over-discussed. And just, you know, let personalities be personalities, quite honestly. We see this in hockey, don't we?
1: Well, we we see it occasionally, occasionally.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean uh, uh, Alex Ovechkin was ripped for, you know, scoring his 50th goal and and doing his version of what, what I think was called the hot stick. Yep. Uh,
1: you know? <laughs> a few years ago, yeah. <laughs> you know,
0: he got ripped for doing that, you know, uh, you know, in a sport that actually definitely needs personalities
1: and and so I don't know. But I uh, see I'm okay in moments, not all the time. In you know, in game 57 of the of the 162 game regular season in the 3rd inning if you hit a home run that barely makes it over the fence I don't want to see you flipping your bat and pimping all the way around the base paths but if you have a walk off or if you have a moment if you're in the playoffs and you like Bautista did I got n- and, and even honestly if if Odor's ball had gone out of the park and he had then flipped his bat in a big moment in this international game I don't have any problem with guys flipping their bat or guys doing something to celebrate it. I've never quite understood why you can't do that, other than the fact that the next time you get up, someone's going to put a fastball right in your face. Well, but, Scott, but why does that happen?
0: But, Scott, why does everyone take some, so, things so personally? Because I have to believe, okay, first of all, the Batista thing uh, gets a total pardon uh, of almost of any discussion to me. Let's be honest, that, that was arguably the most epic inning in, in recent baseball history, playoff ba- baseball history.
1: Plus, there is no chance, and this is backs up your point, there is no chance that he pre-planned that. No. Right? So if you went up there, like a guy running in a touchdown, you could have rehearsed your, your touchdown dance. There is no way Jose Bautista thought about, hey, if I hit a home run here, this is what I'm going to do. It was entirely spontaneous.
0: But if he flips his bat, and this, now I'm, I'm talking about any bat flip now, Okay, again, I will say Odor looked like an idiot because it didn't go out. But had it gone out and he flipped his bat, is there anything wrong with that? No. Why, why, why are we so sensitive? Why are pitchers so sensitive? Why are the old-school baseball um, minds, mindset, why is, that, why is that wrong? It's not showing up the pitcher. It's celebration of an achievement. The greatest thing in baseball is a home run. And if I hit a home run and I choose to flip my bat because I'm happy about my home run, why does the pitcher automatically assume that's showing me up? No, I'm just happy that I hit a home run, especially when I do it at home and there's 50,000 people screaming and going crazy.
1: My question with this has always been, go back to the hockey example with Ovechkin. So the Ovechkin thing, yeah, he got flack for what he did, but every single player that I can ever remember in the history of hockey that I've every game I've seen every goal that has ever been scored the player who scores raises his hands and his stick and there is a little celebration with his teammates I cannot remember bubba ever a guy scoring a goal and just without any reaction skating back to the bench and sitting down if that happens why is that not seen as rubbing it into the goalie who just who who you scored on because that's what we're talking about in baseball. The pitcher, you're rubbing it in his face by celebrating. But in hockey, you're doing it. Why is the goalie then not taking it personally in hockey? I
0: don't know. I, but there are some that do. I mean, and I don't get it.
1: Oh, I've. But how you don't see very often no, 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 the no, goalie no. go after the guy. No, 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 no. The Billy Smiths of the world. Are or the Ron Hextalls of the world. Yeah, that yeah, that yeah. almost never happens. Goalies, they accept that, you know what? The guy beat me. I'll get him next time. I don't understand why pitchers can't look at that the same way.
0: I mean, quite honestly, if anyone should be going crazy, it should be people in the NFL. Because, I mean, that's the most celebratory, I mean, well, to the point that they're throwing flags now for over-celebration, right? So, at this point, why does everyone lose their, lose their skirt on this?
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I've never quite understood it, and I think that if sports are about entertainment and getting the fans involved and everything else, and you... Especially as you say, especially at home, like you, you're going to have to have some cojones if you do what Jose Bautista did in Texas, right? If that game had been in Texas and he did that, the next guy who came up to the plate was going to take one, whether the, whether it was stupid or not, he was going to, but you know what, if you're doing it in a, in the heat of excitement and the heat of passion, in the heat of whatever, I have no problem with it. I, again, I don't want to see it being done all year long for every single home run, but that's different. That's different.
0: But again, Scott, I mean, if if a, if a player chooses to celebrate their accomplishment, and again, I remind you, again, home run is the greatest thing to, that can happen in a in a baseball game. If I choose to celebrate that, with I mean, I'm not talking about looking at the pitcher and going nan nan nan. <laughs> okay, I'm talking about celebrating yep. my accomplishment. Why does everyone get in a tizzy over that?
1: Because. Because it's,
0: it's accepted in every sport. Tiger, I mean, it could be match play in, in golf, and Tiger, well, old Tiger, <laughs> sinks a putt and does a fist pump. Is that meant to be against uh, whoever he's on the green with? I mean, and I could go on and on about each sport.
1: Yeah, you know what? I, I, look, I'm in agreement with you. I just, I found it so funny. That the guy who was leading the charge about the bat flipping and how disrespectful it was and everything else is a guy doing it when the opportunity is his to do. And, you know, I don't expect that somewhere down the road that he's going to come out and say, you know. In retrospect, having now experienced a moment like Jose Bautista did, mm-hmm. I retract what I said before. I was wrong. You know what? In that moment, if I had been Jose Bautista, I would have done exactly the same thing. He's not going to say that, but that's what he's thinking.
0: I, I, I would presume so. At this point, I, I just I just think people are going are losing their mind over this kind of stuff. And, and really, I don't know. I mean, maybe the pitcher should pitch better. <laughs> yeah, really.
1: Well, uh, the, uh, now I can't remember which team. I guess he's on the States, but uh, Venezuela may run into uh, Sam Dyson <laughs> coming up in the World Baseball Classic, the guy who gave up Bautista's homer, who was also very upset with the, ed- uh, the etiquette of this. I'd like to see if Sam Dyson wants to put one up and in on his own second baseman, uh, you know, just to show him that that's not what you do in baseball.
0: No, that's, not the, that's, not, that's not the way you do things, Scott. You know, and you know, it's funny that you bring that up. Why is it the guy that steps up to the plate why does he get buzzed?
1: The next guy, you mean?
0: Why is he, I mean, it, it had nothing to do with that guy.
1: Yeah, I know. I, you know what? They, that's why you never want to be batting an order behind some hot dog. Because <laughs> <laughs> all year long, you're just getting pounded on because of...
0: But again, and, it makes no sense. It I
1: mean, doesn't. Why does, the,
0: why does the next guy get beat on?
1: It is... Uh, these, are, these are things that... Mysteries of time and space that we may not ever be able to understand. But uh, people can go watch this... Uh, this bat flip that uh, that O'Dour did, and then watch him sheepishly have to stop at first when his <laughs> towering home run stays in the park, and he actually took about nine minutes to get down the first baseline as he admired it. Uh, Bubba O'Neill, birthday boy! Thanks for doing this. Happy birthday! Happy belated birthday now, but uh, happy year to you.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate it, Scott. Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> That's uh, that. That is that. To me, was one of the great highlight clips of watching Odor get to first base and realize that he flipped the bat and looked like a bit of a goofball and the ball actually stayed in the park. If you're going to admire, you've got to be sure that you have hit that ball so far that there is no chance it stays in. Otherwise, if it's a line drive kind of shot that you think is going out, you run until it goes out and then you can slow down. But especially for the guy who punched Bautista in the face To to, to have this happen and then have a, have a bat flip, come back to bite. I just think that's, those are the baseball gods rising up to make a statement. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. You probably you probably heard the name today. You've probably followed this story. You've heard something about this today. Kareem Baratov is a 22-year-old Ancaster resident who was arrested today and Was By Toronto, or last night, I guess, sometime in the last little while, was handed over to Toronto Police, then the RCMP, and then I guess the FBI is trying to get their hands on him. Now, most people around here would have never heard this name before. He's not a famous person by any stretch. Some may be familiar. They would have seen him driving around Ancaster in recent years in a powder blue colored Lamborghini, there aren't a lot of them driving around, especially with the license plate, Mr. Kareem. If you were up in the Ancaster area over years, you may have seen that car because it really did stand out. I'll be honest. But again, you would never, even if you saw him, you would never have known what he was allegedly up to. And I want to stress this because he is charged with something, but it is still, nothing has been proven. So these are only allegations against him. We have no idea if any of this actually happened. Nothing has been proven in court. I want to stress that. But it is a fascinating story because the 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 what we're hearing is seemingly hacking on a massive scale involving Russian spies and a kid, and he's a kid. He's 22 years old in Lancaster. But none of us, I think, or very few of us who have heard this story today, when we actually get below the headline, really have any clue what this means was going on or what was actually at play here. Allegedly, if this happened, what does this all actually mean? I want to help you here to understand this story going forward because you're going to hear more about it. So let's at least understand what this means. Well, Daniel... Tabak is the internationally recognized cybersecurity and digital forensics expert. He's the founder of cyber Tele- uh, sorry, telligence He joins us now. Daniel, thanks for doing this tonight. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Okay, so I want to work through some of this stuff because, as I say, myself leading the pack and a lot of other people have heard the headline but don't have a clue what this actually means was actually allegedly happening. So the FBI says that this guy hacked 500 million Yahoo accounts. A grand jury in California indicted him and three others, two of them allegedly officers of the Russian Federal Security Service for computer hacking, economic espionage, and other criminal offenses. Why would they want to hack Yahoo accounts? So allegedly
3: he's one of the people that was part of this crime of of hacking, uh, one of the biggest hacking stories of the century, which is the half a billion uh, accounts at Yahoo. Why do they want to account this, uh, why do they, uh, again, want to hack those accounts is because they get access to private information. So when you take, as an example, half a billion email accounts out there, is you have access to different people's personal information, such as work-related, personal, and so on. Basically, everybody's life are an email today. Uh, so they perpetrate a crime by basically sniffing out all those type of messages of various communication around the world and when you put into the perspective when you have a filter of half a billion email accounts and all the information that goes in that that's a lot of data a lot of data
1: would they would you believe and again I want to keep stressing this and people are going to get sick of us saying allegedly but it's we have to do this <laughs> if this happened would they when they went after 500 billion accounts or sorry 500 million accounts half a billion accounts would they actually be interested in the information from all those accounts, or would there be a few people, would you suspect, that they were trying to get but didn't necessarily know what? So let's just get them all.
3: Absolutely. So what happens is we already have, again, not proof that he did it, but just as part of the story, when you look at the, the Justice Department and the things that they have advert- they basically stated out there, is there were some particular people that were Uh, there was a focused and direct attack to access their particular emails people in government people in security people in the army various people of very high rank but with their perpetrated attack they basically had the secret formula to access other emails so they just decided to do it all over the place if you ask me it's a bit of a cover-up because you know when you attack half a half a billion accounts it's very difficult to point the finger at you to say, well, you just went after this Treasury mm. Board member or Ministry of Justice or Ministry of Defense and so on and so on. So they just over the data, which of course they used, and I can almost guarantee it's with some very powerful software in the back to correlate data, correlate data points, and put the pieces of the puzzle together.
1: I want to get to a lot of different things in this but let's go right to the nuts and bolts of this and i'm not wanting to give a um a a, an explanation for someone although we couldn't do that on the radio of how to do this but if i was if someone was going to hack how do you actually go about this how how does a hacker get access to these accounts what do they do to actually be able to break the code
3: Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I'll just make a quick comment. What, what part of their biggest uh, part of what they did in this particular Yahoo hack is they they found a way to when somebody forgets their password and they click, you know, forget password, send me an email. They found a way to intercept that email reminder or email link that gives somebody a way to reset their email address. So that was one of them. That's 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 a notorious thing that hackers do today. Another one is they actually created their own uh, fictitious websites for Google, Yandex, which is actually a Russian ISP, uh, Yahoo, and so on, where when somebody misspells, for example, yahoo.ca, it goes into a website, and it's going to be a fictitious website. They enter their credentials. They're able to capture those credentials, which then they use to hack that email address later. So those are and that's that's really on the phishing side another way hackers today gain access into environments especially again corporate or personal information is trying to hack what we call the weakest link in the system and that's usually a wi-fi connection even till today corporate or personal wi-fis are very easy to crack when you look at a brute force attack you know and this is not out of again out of mission impossible 11 <laughs> this is real stuff you can hack a Wi-Fi today by you know with some particular software and having a little bit more you know knowledge than the average person in roughly eleven to eighteen minutes. So th- there's definitely ways to get in. So again, other tactics is they send you an email with a smiling little cat that waves at you because it looks like it's from your friend John Smith. You click on it, yeah, a little cat waves at you, but what just happened? You just installed an executable on your computer that gives somebody access. There's many ways a hacker can actually gain control or access into somebody's computer.
1: But they got 500 million. Did that mean that 500 million people clicked on the waving cat or asked for their password to be reset? There there has to be, it has to be beyond that. Once you get into one, it must open the door to millions.
3: Uh, yeah, but you see, all of this is this is again not 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 to sound like a sales, like a, like a car salesman, but it's about volume, right? I mean, these people work on volume. A lot of the stuff is done automated. It's not an actual person sitting behind a keyboard. So it's an
1: algorithm. It's an algorithm Absolutely. that's working.
3: Absolutely, it's all mathematics, and that's why there's so many Russians involved because they're very good at math. Right?
1: <laughs> okay. So could any computer then be hacked?
3: Absolutely.
1: So do they go Absolutely. after the computers or do they go after the server?
3: It all depends what they're going after. Uh, it's, you know, when you, when you look at, let's say, three subjects that somebody wants to, you know, to penetrate into their infrastructure, it all depends on what is the easiest way. Wi-Fi, actual computer, we hack maybe the server and that's how we get into their information. It all depends. Every situation is a little different, but you have to understand there's literally hundreds, thousands of these Happening per minute, per hour, right? So it's not, you know, a, a thousand people sitting there uh, typing away. It's all algorithms and software. Of course, somebody's behind the wheel. But all of this is automated.
1: Okay, so let me let me go back again to try and paint the picture here. Does this mean then that if this happened, that he and the other people who were charged, if they are in fact guilty, if they did this, that they sat down by themselves and wrote some code and wrote this algorithm and wrote this program and then sent it out into the world, and then essentially the computer did all the work for them and they just carried on their life and they didn't have to do anything else. It was all just flowing in.
3: Absolutely. That's part of it. Absolutely.
1: So you, can, you could, if you're, now, the first thing is, criminal or not, you've got to be pretty smart and pretty good at computers to be able to do this. That's the first thing. This is not something that I'm going to be figuring out by myself on my computer.
3: You have to be uh, on, on a on a, on a various security level, absolutely, to perform this.
1: But but also, you have to understand code. You have to. I mean, there's a lot of. This is not something that happens. Remember the old movie. What was the old uh, movie? Um, was it War Games or something where they accidentally hacked into the NORAD computer yeah, system? No,
3: war Games. Okay. Yeah. There,
1: there, this is not something where someone could even stumble upon something. You have no. to be have it, at a high 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 level of understanding of this to make this something like this happen. Absolutely.
3: This is, again, these are very targeted, sophisticated type of attacks. This is not something by accident.
1: And then in the algorithm, okay, so now they've got these 500 million different accounts. Does the algorithm then also, because they can't be going through these different emails, are they looking for words? Are they looking for names? How would they then find the information they want? Because that's a, a, an incomprehensible amount of information.
3: Absolutely. Now, again, you see in the old days, there literally would be a room full of very smart people and they're sifting through it. But over the past five, six years, there's softwares that literally make all this process automated. They can search by keywords. They can search by language. They can search by location. It it sounds actually a little silly, but it's become a lot easier to do this from actually getting access to information and filtering to what you actually want. Financial this, uh, transactions, wiring, banking, you literally can put a keyword around it and discover it.
1: So for the average person, because there's, again, I keep coming back to the number, there's 500 million. So there's a lot of people who have a Yahoo account who got hacked in this. Would most people whose... Email or or, or uh, if whose email got hacked, would they should they be concerned about what's in there? Or by and large, no, no, they were. It, it looks like they were after certain people, and the others were just you know they just got thrown in the garbage, basically.
3: You know, I always say this in in you know in in the hacking organized crime world uh, and intelligence world, uh, every bit of information is useful. It just depends on the time you're going to need to use it, right? So, I mean, when they were going after some particular people and they wanted particular information for whichever uh, they needed to do. Uh, there's a lot of bit of information there that still has a monetary, monetary currency to it. So you have somebody's banking information, you have somebody personal information sent, tax, and so on. There's other levels of, of people that would actually pay money for this. That's, that's the criticality behind it. So they were not stupid. They're going after some very specific information, but to collect that type of amount of data It's all about the money. So they had a way to filter it
1: and then use it for other things. How big a processor or a server would you need to hold all this? Or do you have to actually hold all this information? do Do I need to have a massive supercomputer somewhere that I can pull all this information and store it? Or could I access and do those checks and find those things with it out in the Internet somewhere?
3: So when you do a major data dump, and again, considering the volume that we're talking about here, is they, they needed to have some sort of infrastructure to hold it, right? Now, again, to have the type of infrastructure is not the end of the world when you're dealing with this type of pot- potentially monetary proceeds of crime. But for them to go and grab about, you know, 20, 30, 40 servers in a data center and so on it's also not a very big deal yes it's expensive but of course they they i'm more than sure they had an they had an roi attached here to what they're doing uh, but you will you you cannot store this on your what i call home pc you need a little bit of a bigger and more complex infrastructure to pull this off
1: but wouldn't now we don't want big brother spying on us all the time but if if somebody is downloading this amount of a dump on a 500 million accounts. And I, you know, I'm with Kojiko or I'm with Bell or Shaw or whatever. Would somebody there, would the red light not start flashing in the IT room because now there's, you know, 10 trillion gigabytes of stuff being downloaded onto my home system?
3: Now, don't forget, Scott, they're not downloading, for example, everybody's hard drive, right? That would be very suspicious. They're accessing people's emails and potentially downloading that. On an average, an email box today is roughly again it could be you know just as an example one gig or two gigs just as an example because yahoo and a lot of other providers that provide free emails they have a cap on your size so all of a sudden for somebody to download and i'm more than sure they didn't do 500 million accounts at the same minute i, I mean i i you know <laughs> they, they they kind of spread this out right i think they they went on vacation and maybe they took some time off but uh, instantly but unfortunately even today when you look at all the email providers They don't have real ways, real alerts to tell them, hey, you know, red alert, red alert, red alert. We have, you know, a hundred million accounts being downloaded at the same time from a friendly location in this part of the world. They don't have those, those tools today, right? And when they're giving away free accounts, they're also not interested in investigating every little thing unless you actually file a complaint. So that's a very important key to keep in mind here. In a corporate environment where there's what I call suspicious activity, they are more in tune to look at it.
1: We have heard, and you know this, you've, we've ta- you and I have talked about this on the show before, we have heard in the last number of months an awful lot about Russian hacking, specifically as it pertains to the U.S. political world. The fact that there were two guys who are involved with the Russian Federal Security Services also charged in that, should that be concerning or should that be something that is well you know it doesn't really matter where they're from it's just whatever they got they were involved is should that connection be concerning to us
3: well it's definitely concerning i mean when we spoke a couple months ago regarding the again the u.s elections and what's happening with the russians and so on my and you know when the cia came out and said hey yes we know the russians are behind the election hack i always say it comes in your forensics where we say it's not what you think it's what you can prove. So mm. it's all about the evidence. But today, when they actually named these people from the FSB, uh, the Russian Intelligence Service, and you have people like uh, Baratov, I mean, these are—they I, I, it definitely shows that they have some direct evidence to say, hey, these are the guys, and they did one, two, three, four. Let it be a whistleblower. Let it be a leak, or they got caught. And I always say there's no such thing as the perfect crime, even in cyberspace, there's always digital crops that are being left behind. So they finally nailed them and, and kudos to them. That's
1: great. But that's that's the last thing I want to ask you about. Is okay, so someone is working, whether it's these guys, and again, I'm gonna say it one more time. It's alleged. But so these guys are in their basement, let's say. Let's say they're they're correct, the, the system is correct, and they found these guys. How would this get tracked back to a particular person? How would they actually go about doing that?
3: So you know it's it's really interesting, and I always use this analogy. You know, Al Capone was never caught for doing the crimes that he did. He exactly. He on tax evasion. Exactly. Right? Yep. <laughs> so the same thing here. I am more than sure uh, that they were not caught on actually performing the crime, but they got sloppy later on by phone conversations or some traces that has to do with them. And one person led to another and showing up. And it obviously doesn't help driving, uh, uh, you know, a baby blue Lamborghini <laughs> down Ancaster, raving up, uh, you know, to 6,000. You know, so, I mean, when you, when you ask for attention, people start paying attention to you, right? Uh, so we don't know how this came about. I'm very interested. I'm following this very closely as I'm extremely interested in the actual evidence that they have, but it's either, you know, tracing IPs, tracing locations, bugged phones, uh, at- and usually, Eight times out of ten in this type of situation is somebody tipped off law enforcement. Hmm. That's usually how this goes down. Somebody decided to do a plea bargain. Somebody decided that they have a conscience. Or somebody just got scared that he's going to get busted and he's going to see a room with four cells for the rest of his life. And they decided to basically squeal. Uh, And that's usually how this goes down.
1: As I let you go, you said something about 10 minutes ago or seven minutes ago that how this probably some of these got caught. And it was that one of the things you said was you, people forgot their password and they sent that thing to say, Hey, I have forgotten my password. We've all done that. So if I now forget my password, should I be living in fear of sending that thing to say, help me out? Like, what do I do now? Because you've just suggested that if I do that, I could possibly be hacked, getting hacked. Absolutely.
3: I mean, again, in the end of the
1: day, my, my biggest advice is, is a lot of
3: email services today do have a two-factor authentication uh, solution, which means when you forget your password or you log on from somewhere, it actually verifies somewhere else, either to your phone or another email address. So that's another way to make it harder for hackers to actually just bypass that. Uh, but of course you got to be cautious uh, scott you gotta be cautious of course you uh, all of us forget our passwords all of us have an issue don't write it on a sticky note and post it on your <laughs> on your screen or on your car or something of that nature we don't have to go crazy but it's about you got to be on the side of caution this is critical for this
1: and last thing does a we always hear about passwords. Would it have made any difference at all in this case if they had a good password or a bad password? Because we always hear, you know, don't use one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Would that have made any difference in this case?
3: It always helps. In this particular case, yes and no. It all depends on the method that they used to actually get into that particular person's, uh, you know, email address. But good passwords are always a pillar of security use a password manager, uh, use a system, think of a movie. Do not put your name, do not put your birthday, do not put your puppy's name, that you're posting pictures all over them over Facebook. Do not put your kids' names. Use a good password. That is the key to a proper security hygiene.
1: Daniel Tabak, uh, founder of Sightelligence, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this.
3: My true pleasure. Thank you.
1: It is, um, it, it is, a, it is a very complicated story. It really is. Because on its face, it's a young guy who, based on everything we've seen on social media, go on Facebook and look up his Facebook account, made a lot of money doing something, driving fancy cars, living the good life, now being arrested for something. And we hear hacking, we hear Russian government, we hear a lot of different things. Hopefully that at least gives some level of understanding of what's going on. I mean, it's way too confusing and complicated, honestly, to be able to explain everything in the span of 15 minutes, give or take. But essentially, this was, as described by the FBI when they had their press conference today, this was a plan, a scheme, draw up, build an algorithm that is going to hack people's emails which will then give the hackers access to those emails, not because they're interested in all necessarily, in all 500 million of them, but because there were probably certain ones within that 500 million that they really wanted. But as Daniel said, if you only target the ones you really want, it becomes pretty easy for law enforcement, for those people when they realize they've been hacked to figure out who is maybe going after you. But if there are 500 million, how do I distinguish why mine was, t- well, I was just one of half a billion that was tapped. You don't necessarily, wouldn't necessarily think there's a problem. So it's a very advanced, very complicated thing that's going on here. If it was going on, because this, uh, this has not gone to court yet. We don't have any guilt in this yet, but man, what a, um, what an intriguing story, what a very, very intriguing story with a strong tentacle of the story based right here in Lancaster. The Scott
0: Radley show, weekdays from 7 to 9
1: on AM 900
0: AM 900 CHML.